Hello and welcome back to Your Politics Show here on Mix 92.6 FM. This is Your Politics Show because we talk about national and local issues, but the main thrust of the conversation is directed by your questions that you send in all through the month and we put them to the local politicians. We try to get the best answers and help with local issues. So, do remember before we get into the show that you can email in at any time if you have any questions to put to our Labour, Liberal Democrat or Conservative MPs and we will answer them through our social media or through our emails. This week we are talking to Bim Afalami, the local Conservative MP for Hitchin and Harpenden. So welcome back to the show, Bim. Since we last spoke, a new prime minister, a change in chancellor, a change in home secretary, a total U-turn in political positions, and then just today, the resignation of the new prime minister. But also overarching all this, we have to point to the tragic loss of Queen Elizabeth II as well. It was um, a, a terrible time for the nation when that happened. Has this been one of the most tumultuous times in your political career, Bim? In a word, yes. And I've only been in politics for five years. This week, we've seen the new position from the government. Uh, it's taken a turn after the turmoil of uh, the last economic plan. So with this new announcement, with this new direction, are you happy that there is a leadership election now and that maybe we can see some more uh, re return to normal politics, Bim? Yes, because, you know, I supported Rishi Sunak in the leadership election over the summer for a very good reason, because I knew he could do the job. I'd worked very closely with Liz Truss, and I didn't think she could do the job, and she's, you know, proved that. Uh, and so what I'm hoping is that now we get back to a sensible period of governance, and, you know, I'm supporting Rishi if he chooses to stand again. Uh, I haven't spoken to him today, but if he chooses to stand again, I'll be strongly supporting And... Um... Do you have a feeling of annoyance at this whole situation? As, as you stated there, you backed Rishi Sunak. Um, this new era that we are going to see with the Conservatives, whoever is the, the leader, will see a restricted fiscal policy, uh, mainly due to the fact that borrowing has increased so much for the government as well. Um, are, are you critical of this trust economics? Well, I mean, obviously it went wrong. <laughs> Uh, well, they were trying to, you know, focusing on growth, and it's important not to completely trash the aid. You know, trying to focus on economic growth is really quite important. Um, but the, the execution was, was appalling, and he also just couldn't run the government properly. So, um, you know, that is, that we've, we've, we've seen what happens. Taking it back, um, as you said there, you were part of Rishi Sunak's support team. Uh, you wanted him to be the next prime minister. But uh, over the course of the Trump Trust administration, I think around September the 22nd, you did actually say some positive things. You said the mini budget shows how much potential quasi Kwarteng and Liz Trust see in the UK. It has clearly set out government's priorities and takes necessity into uh, action. So with those kind of comments there, were, were you more kind of backing up the new prime minister, giving them a chance. You hadn't changed your belief system, had you? No, but I mean, look, the, the, the growth plan and the mini budget was in large part sensible. It talked about getting rid of silly obstacles to infrastructure, getting more onshore wind, uh, 
getting rid of city financial regulations that hold back the city. There are a lot of things that make a lot of sense in this. The, the, to, but of course, like with everything, just because you don't agree with every single aspect does not mean that overall it's not, um, it, it, it's not a good idea. I think that the difficulty they had with the growth plan and all this stuff was that they failed to appreciate the market reaction properly. And that is something that is of real importance. And, and I think that the fact that they failed to appreciate that has cost them dear. But that's not to say that every single thing they're trying to do is bad. And it's, it's wrong if anybody were to ever suggest that. Even Labour didn't disagree with everything in the, in the growth plan. Um, I do want to talk about some of the turmoil of what happened last night. Were you there, Bim? McKenna? Can you give us a bit of an insight? Because there's lots of rumours, there's obviously kind of accusations that have been laid down. Was it an impossible situation for some Conservative MPs? Do you agree that there yeah. was uh, yeah. bits of I mean, bullying? No, no. I think people have to slightly grow up, first of all. Um, if anybody tried to physically manhandle me, I would tell them to off very, very quickly indeed. Um <laughs> What 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 I what basically happened was there was something called an opposition day debate. Now they are given on a regular basis, quite rightly, to the leader of to the to the opposition parties. Labour get most of them, the SNP gets a few, because they're the third party, uh, to talk about an issue of their of their choosing. And that is right. We in a parliamentary system, they have a right to on a occasional basis, talk about whatever they want. That's important. And the government has to respond. Now, votes on opposition day debates are not binding. They are just motions of the House of Commons. And typically what the government will do, not obviously with conservative government now, but when it was a Labour government, it was the same, is what a government does in that situation is it abstain. So it basically just says, look, opposition day, you're doing your thing. You vote for whatever you want, but we're not engaging. This is your thing. Yeah, because it's not legislative. Now, what happened yesterday was, uh, quite unusually, Labour used a device that was pioneered during the Brexit time of trying to take control of the order paper. So trying to take control of the legislative programme in the House of Commons and to, to legislate to ban fracking everywhere. That is what they were trying to do. Now, the reason why it was important for the government to vote against this, regardless of your view on fracking, for what it's worth, I'm against fracking. I'm on the record many times, um, many times as uh, as saying so. Is is that if you take control of the paper order paper, that is the sort of core thing about being being in government. Yeah. No government can allow somebody else to take control of parliamentary procedure, because if you did that, then you may as well not be in government. So they were trying this device because it was an un on a very difficult issue, which the Conservative Party, most of people are against it, but there's a, there's a, mi a strong minority that's in favour of fracking. It was a sort of political game they were playing. So in essence... For some Conservative MPs who have fracking proposals in their constituencies, they found this a very tough vote because they said, well, hold on. The public is not going to have the same amount of time that I've just had to explain to you the nature of an opposition day debate. It's that it's not binding, that they were trying to take control of the order paper, and their constituents might think they were voting in favour of fracking in their constituency. 
which I also understand is a real worry. So it was a tricky thing for a lot of those Tory MPs. Of course it was. And so um, for a lot of them, they felt they didn't want to support it. Now, the issue was around whether the government would treat this as a confidence issue or not. And obviously, if the government loses a confidence motion, there's an election, which no, none of, nobody in the Conservative Party wants, though I think the Labour Party do quite want one. Um, and so what really happened here was there was a confusion about whether this was a confidence motion or not. But, you know, these are sort of technical things. The real fundamental problem was a lack of competence in the government and the chief whip in managing this process properly. And it was that the MPs just, you know, said, this is the last straw. That is what it was. I do want to bring it on to a discussion that we actually had quite recently. And you talked about maybe an existential crisis within the Conservative Party who you are going forward. You said that what ha- whatever happens in the leadership race, there has to be an agreed consensus within the party. Um, I've seen some of your media appearances and, you know, today you've been fairly diplomatic, but there has been growing dissent and some of the language used by the likes of Suella Baverman, who described dissent as a coup. Um, does that worry you? going forward about the future of the party? Or or do you believe that there can be unity under a new leader? Um, Look, there are always strong views in politics. I am pretty confident that there will be um, sufficient unity under a new leader who is is capable of running the government. (laughs) The problem that Liz had wasn't the lack of unity. It was that she couldn't do the job properly. That was the problem. And of course, if someone can't do the job, if someone can't do the job properly, then then you're going to get chaos, and that's what happens. So, um, you know, if we get a competent leader, then I don't think we are going to we we are going to face sort of chaos. So, uh, I want to bring it on to uh, a discussion point of through the previous leadership race. Um, there was a lot of things said. Um, and, you know, going forward, I'm sure your belief is that the Conservative Party are the party for the future of Britain. But the current, uh, sorry, the former Prime Minister Liz Truss, uh, along with the person that you're backing, Rishi Sunak, were very critical of the last 12 years of Conservative rule. And Liz Truss herself said Tory government has failed to deliver growth. Rishi Sunak had similar sentiments. So, how can the voters trust the Conservatives to deliver this time, even when people within your own party running for leadership have been so critical of your own record? Um, I think that it is Liz, one of Liz's failings was on was on the way that she treated um, the last 12 years of Conservative government. And Rishi never did that, actually. You know, in policy terms, Rishi was basically saying, I'm going to tidy up a few things. I'm going to be more effective, more competent. But we stood on a manifesto that we broadly agreed with. And that was what Rishi was trying to do. And um, I think that's actually, in policy terms, that's where most MPs are. So, you know, I don't think there's political space for someone to come and say, no, we're changing it all again. <laughs> you know, we're going, to, we're going to flip it all over again. No, I do not think there is there is, uh, there is any anything like that. Let's turn it to the attention of some local issues then, Bim. Uh, last month, you asked the Secretary of State of Education whether the government is planning 
to take steps to support schools in Hitchin and Harpenden constituency with their energy bills over the coming winter. We've seen changes. Obviously, Jeremy Hunt has described new plans. So what is what was the answer given to you and what is the kind of answer going forward? Has it changed? So I haven't, I haven't got an answer to that yet, but what I would say is energy bills are a massive issue for public sector because they can't increase their prices, right? Now, I'm not saying it's easy for a business and it's not easy for a family to necessarily earn more money, but there is a bit of flexibility in both of those instances often. If you are a school, you can't charge more per pupil if you're a state-funded school, right? So energy costs for schools, particularly in this constituency, we've got a lot of old building village schools. Um, that will be very, very difficult. And um, what kind of help do you expect to happen then? Do you think that Jeremy Hunt, uh, if he continues in his role as Chancellor, will there be new help announced for the education sector? I hope so. As chair of the all-party parliamentary group of renewable and sustainable energy, um, were you disappointed with some of the pivoting away from the green policy? Because in the 2019 manifesto, there was a lot of stuff that you were very, very proud of. Um, obviously, we can't say what the, the new government is going to do, but would you be disappointed if they continued with a focus on maybe fracking and, and these sorts of things, rather than focusing on protecting green spaces like the 2019 uh, manifesto had promised? Well, we just got to get back to the broad look. In political terms, right, without listing the manifesto, because obviously I can't remember it, um, we were in the centre on economic policy. We were saying that we were we were going to increase spending on things that we needed to increase spending on. We we're going to increase spending on the NHS, on education, and on infrastructure. We had a sensible economic policy that was designed and uh, maintained by Rishi Sunak. And then in, in the environment, we're very pro-environmental, and you know we we held that sort of centre. And we've just got to make sure we do that as a party. And if you strip everything back, and I said this in a debate, I was speaking at Cambridge Union a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying, look, Keir Starmer is not really saying he's going to do anything differently. What he's saying is, you know, they're doing things badly. And I can I, I admit that over the last few weeks, we've been doing a pretty good impression of, of, of doing things badly. But he isn't policy-wise offering anything different. So if we can get back to get on delivering on the premises, then there is no reason why uh, why we can't come back and people can trust us. But, you know, I'm not saying they will trust us. I'm saying that if we do the right things, they can. One, one policy difference between Keir Starmer and your plan is a commitment to net zero. He's saying five years earlier. Uh, do you think that you can still commit to a 2035 net zero economy, though, within the current context? Or is that something that you think will have to be kind of appraised? No, I don't think it, it needs reappraisal. We know that that it need we know that we need to achieve net zero by 2050, but we need to make sure we work on this at a global level to make sure that globally we help other countries do it. There's no point us doing it in Britain and, and it not happening anywhere else. Uh, moving it to health in the area, in August you asked about current waiting times in Harperton and Hitchin and what steps the government is taking to reduce them. Uh, what was the answer given, Bim? I 
don't think I've seen the answers to that yet. Fair enough. Uh, we'll we'll move it on to the Luton Airport expansion then. Um, it has been called in by the Secretary of State. So many people will be interested. Uh, will this see the project go ahead? Because uh, Liz Truss's government seemed to be quite pro-airport expansion. Or do you believe that there is going to be a stop on this? Um, I think that if you take a... If you just look at this objectively, which in planning terms, it would have to be done by the planning inspector. When it goes back to the Secretary of State, it's important people realise this isn't done by one of my colleagues, right? Or me or whatever. It's done by the planning inspector, which have a very, very set... They're civil servants. They have a very set, uh, in many ways, very exhausting set of rules as to how they do things. And so if you look at objectively at the, at the criteria, the criteria requires... Environmental concerns to be met, noise, and I mean sort of air quality and things, noise concerns to be met, travel concerns to be met, and Luton Airport is not in the right place to meet those concerns. And I'm confident of that. I was confident of that five years ago when I was first elected, and I'm confident of that. Um, you know, I was confident of that. Yeah, I'm confident of that now. So I don't think it will be allowed to expand significantly uh, because I don't think that they're going to be able to satisfy all the all the concerns that local people uh, all around the airport will inevitably have. Now, another travel issue has been uh, brought to our attention. Um, and this is something that we talked about quite a few times, Bim, traffic issues, uh, safety uh, of travel in the area. But it has been an interesting revelation from a freedom of information request that no cyclists have been prosecuted for any offences in St Albans or Harpenden over the last two years. And police say that dangerous cycling is not a priority. Are you worried this undermines the work that you have done around driving safety recently? It is. I think that prosecutions are important when people do the wrong thing. And why, why prosecutions are important is because if people know that the rules are not enforced, then they're much more likely to flout them. So I do hope, I hope that we... Um, that the, the police, you know, looks at this and uh, I'll bring it up uh, next time I have a meeting with local police. We might ask you again next month on that issue. But recently, before we get into the community questions, uh, I wanted to ask you about your trip to Uganda as part of your work with Harperton Spotlight on Africa. What was the trip like? Um, what was the trip like? I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, the ability to work on to work with charities Spotlight on Africa uh, in a very poor part of Uganda. We've built a maternity hospital. We've now expanded the maternity hospital. We've built a primary school. We're now going to build a secondary school and just transforming a local area, not just in terms of the public services, in terms of sort of health and education, but then the businesses that are starting to come in, the 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 real positive energy in what's a desperately poor part of the world. And, you know, it was just really energizing to see charity work that you're doing. Obviously, you know, in addition to various other things you're doing as a member of parliament, but the, the charity work to really come alive when you got a chance to visit. So it was um, it was a very, very, very interesting and, uh, and, and really sort of uplifting trip. And uh, people can, I guess, visit your 
Twitter or, or however they engage with you to, to find out more information yeah, on Harpenden. Definitely. It's called, it's called Harpenden Spotlight on Africa. Look it up. So let's move to the community questions. And Joe has reignited our discussions on education, but this time with a focus on Ofsted. She's asked, as schools work in high standards of Ofsted with a reduction in finances across the board and a reduction in finances going forward, resources and opportunities to deepen learning through trips, can we expect some leniency on Ofsted inspections? I don't think so, because I think that everybody will be in a similar position. But I do expect some understanding. And the critical thing with Ofsted, as, as, as you'll know, is explanation and talking through why things are the way they are. And uh, that's what I would expect from Ofsted. But I don't think leniency is the right word, nor should they be lenient. They should apply the right standards, but they should understand where 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 things may be difficult for any particular school. Uh, Callum has switched attention onto uh, an issue he, I guess, has read about or seen uh, something on it. He said, why can't we do like what is done in France where any wasted food is given to food banks or to com- or companies will face a fine? Could this be enforced by a local council? Or I guess he could ask you, because obviously the, the Conservatives are, are running the government, could this be uh, a new idea for the government? Uh, you could do that. Um, and I think that's the sort of thing councils could, could put in place um, relatively easily. Uh, I, I generally don't really like sort of being too uh, coercive with rules like that. I think that's quite steep. You know, you then have to get into a definition of, of what counts as wasted and who then pays for taking it to a food bank and how do you put it together? You know, if you take, you know, theoretically, you could put it in all in a big bucket and dump it at a food bank. Well, that wouldn't be any use, right? So it is difficult to impose greater costs on businesses, but I think that we should make it as easy as possible for businesses to do that. Uh, I mean, would you be interested in investigating that as uh, maybe a future policy to, to kind of alleviate the cost of living crisis, maybe examine what has been done in France and, and maybe transfer or talk with, as you said, their local councils to to get agreement on that, BIM? Um, no, because I don't, I, I don't like the coercive element and forcing it, but I do think we should make it easier. Okay. Uh, now, a lot of bus- a lot of businesses that I know and have dealt with do give money to local charities, give food to local charities or food banks or churches or whatever. Um, but I just think forcing them imposes a, a lot of costs for some businesses and it, it may not achieve the aim that, that you think it does. And that's part of the difficulty around legislation. It's you've got to look at the unintended consequences, not the inte- not really the intended ones. Um, and so it would need some real looking at. Karen has asked, there has been another crash in our local area, this time on Stevenage Road, the A602. Uh, I've heard you talk about road safety on here with Jason, but does any data show that there have been improvements? It doesn't feel like it. Well, there have been improvements overall, but that doesn't mean that in every on every road there has been improvements. So if you look at the road casualties, they are lower now than they were, for example, five years ago. But that doesn't mean that in your particular road, that we're talking about Stevenage Road or any other road, that they that it's necessarily better. So, you know, I, I realise that giving sort of general statistics don't really mean anything if you live on a road that's dangerous. I completely appreciate that. So uh, the, the only thing I can say is keep bringing these things up, 
keep highlighting them. I will do my best working with the local police and where necessary, the county council who are responsible for it. Uh, Shane has asked about, I guess, your future within the party. He said after your on-air resignation, what is your position in the party now? Does this free you to speak your mind more in recent media appearances? You seem to be able to voice your opinions more. Well, I was always, I always thought I was pretty good at um, at voicing my own opinions. But look, when you hold a post appointed by the prime minister, you you have to sing from a broad same hymn sheet. I think that's important. And if I was appointed to government uh, as a minister or whatever now, then obviously I'd have to, there's a collective responsibility. You can't have government ministers come out and say different things every day because people don't have a clue what the government policy is. Uh, there's a great freedom in being, in saying whatever you want, whenever, but at the same time, you're not exercising the responsibility. If you exercise a lot of responsibility, you have to accept that within government, you're not going to win every every argument. And that's just the trade-off that we all in politics uh, we all um, we all wrestle with. Let's move it on to Carol's question. She said, "Latest data shows that Hertfordshire stop and search on leads uh, leads to rest twelve percent of the time, whereas the numbers show it disproportionately is used to bother ethnic minority communities. Where do you think the trade off is between safer streets and allowing institutionalised racism to be part of our local policing system?" Well, it's very very hard. Uh, Stop and search is probably one of the most debated, controversial things in policing for over the last 40 years. And I can't pretend on this program that I've got an answer to it. What I do know is that we do need to trust police to do things right. And if we know they aren't doing things right, we need to come down like a ton of bricks on those that misbehave or are racist or whatever the, 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 the misbehavior is. Because I think to not trust people who you who you by their jobs have to allow a huge amount of freedom to curtail other people's liberty by arresting them, for example. You know, we give police a huge amount of power and freedom to do that to 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 the rest of our society. You've got to trust them because if you don't, then society can't function. But at the same time, by goodness, we need to watch what they're up to. We have to make sure there is a transparency about how they operate. So the final question this month is, Thomas said, I saw a picture of you playing cricket recently. Could you arrange a fun game of Labour versus Conservative sporting event? I could arrange that. Maybe I should. <laughs> if you could choose any sporting ground, or I guess if this was cricket, cricket ground, uh, where would you like it to be held? Would it be home turf for you in Harpenden? Football, football at the Emirates is where we should do it. And, you know, we have talked about your previous footballing prowess, but that is the end of this month's interview, Bim. It has been useful to speak to you as always. And as always, people can send in their messages because you'll be on again next month. But for now, I'm going to wish you the best of health and the best of luck over the coming month. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you.